Hi, everybody. Jimmy DeYoung here at Broadcast Central. Not in Chattanooga, Tennessee, where you would normally catch us, but up in South Dakota. We're in a little community called Wilmot, South Dakota. We were here last week, had a great opportunity to teach the prophetic word of God. Well, we've got six broadcast partners standing by. They're situated around the world, and we're going to be talking with them, getting their insight and knowledge of current events as these events seemingly are setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. We're going first to Ken Timmerman. He covers geopolitical activities for us. And Ken, a very interesting development as it relates to the Abraham Accords, it looks like Hamas, the Islamic terror organization that are located, headquartered in the Gaza Strip in Israel, and the Bahrainis, who are radical Islamists, who are opposed to the Israeli and the Arab nations having these peace deals. This does not sound good. They're strategizing with the purpose of trying to bring these peace agreements down. Sounds pretty bad, doesn't it? Well, here you go, Jimmy. This is one of those stories that we, we are starting to cover here on Prophecy Today that you will not read about in the national media here in the United States. Step by step by step, we've been watching this collaboration between Iran and the Bahraini opposition against the peace accords, and now Hamas against the peace accords with the Bahraini opposition as well. They met this past week in Lebanon, in what I would call a terror summit. Uh, it was not just Hamas, it was also the leaders of Palestinian Islamic Jihad and the Popular Front for the Liberation of uh, Palestine, all of these being with the Bahraini opposition, the Shiite opposition in Bahrain. So they have a beef, not just with Israel, uh, they have a beef with the, the Sunni government of Bahrain, which is supported by the United States. So this is, again, advancing those pawns, Another step in the direction of creating a new front of steadfastness, such as we saw in the Arab world, led by Iraq 40 years ago. And meanwhile, in Israel, the prime minister made a telephone call to talk with the president of Russia, Vladimir Putin. The people in Israel are very much concerned, and the prime minister expressed that to Putin about reports of a possibility of a sale from the Russians of their S-400s, their advanced air defense system, to the Iranians, and that would indeed make Iran much more dangerous, would it not? Uh, well, it would. Now, the Iranians have already taken possession of the S-300 missiles, Jimmy. They got those thanks to Barack Obama in 2015 with the uh, Iran nuclear deal that, that lifted the arms embargo temporarily on Iran and allowed them to get those missiles delivered. Now, the Russians, with the S-400 missile, it's a longer-range missile, and it has capability to be used against drones and potentially, at least the Russians claim, against stealth aircraft. This could pose a problem for Israel, but one important caveat, uh, the Russians have already deployed these missiles, the S-400s, in Syria at their principal air base in Syria, and to my knowledge, they have never been used against Israeli aircraft. Now, is that because the Israelis have worked out an arrangement, as we believe has happened, with the Russians, informing them ahead of time of airstrikes against Hezbollah? Or is it because they were not able to detect Israeli aircraft? I tend to believe it's because there was an agreement. So this could be troubling for 
Israel's Air Force, should they decide to launch some kind of strike against Iranian nuclear facilities in the future. I'm glad that you brought up uh, the information about it was the Obama administration who agreed as the United States approved the sale of these S-300s to Iran. Uh, But, of course, I do not believe the president of the United States now is interested for allowing that sale to go through to the Iranians. Well, Ken, Iran, speaking of Iran and their presence in Syria, both of these countries are very much worried about a regional conflict that's going on. We talked about it a bit last week between Azerbaijan and the Armenian, the war that's happening there. Give us the latest update. Well, uh, what's come out over the past week, Jimmy, uh, excuse me for laughing a bit, uh, it is a tragic conflict. Now over 400 people have been killed in this recent round of fighting. But now it's come out that the Iranians, while they claim to be supporting Azerbaijan, while the Iranian supreme leader himself is an Azeri, uh, now they've been caught uh, helping Russia to deliver weapons clandestinely through Iran to Armenia. Now, that was back in April. But in addition to that, you have fighting right on Iran's border. You have a large Azeri population in Iran itself that's sympathetic to Azerbaijan. Uh, You have stray artillery shells that have uh, gone across the border and hit Iranian villages on the border with that area in Nagorno-Karabakh and in Armenia. So it's heating up on the Iranian border. They don't want to see this. They're doing their best to see if they can tamp it down and get some kind of, at least a ceasefire going. Looks like uh, they're trying to play both ends against the middle. Ken, we cannot have a conversation without talking about Tayyip Erdogan, who is the president, I guess, for life as it relates to Turkey. And now Erdogan is making the statement that he has found a plot that is trying to shut him down from fulfilling his ambitions of being the pan-Islamic leader of the Middle East and, in fact, the world, and also his ambition to revive the old Ottoman Empire. What do we know about this? Well, I I think we need to understand a couple of things about Erdogan. Number one, he wants to become the caliph, the head of a pan-Islamic caliphate all over the world. Number two, he believes he is entitled to that position. And number three, because of that, he's paranoid about anybody who might stand in his way. So he sees operations by the French Navy, for example, helping Greece during the recent standoff in the Mediterranean when the Turks sent their... uh, uh, their gas, oil and gas exploration ship, and their navy into Greek territorial waters. He sees that as a plot against Turkey. He sees the United Arab Emirates working with Egypt to ship weapons to Libya, to General Haftar, who's opposing a Turkish proxy in Libya. He sees that as a threat, a personal threat against him. Uh, Erdogan, in his expansionism, sees enemies all around. If he'd stay within Turkey's borders those enemies wouldn't be there. You know, at the same time, the Turkish president, Tayyip Erdogan, addressed the Turkish parliament this week, Ken, and he made what I would believe is an ironic statement, but an ignorant statement as well. He said that Jerusalem has been the city of the Turks for thousands of years. Your comments. Uh, Again, extraordinary paranoia on his part where he projects things that just don't exist. You know, Jimmy, I had an experience a number of years ago 
meeting with the uh, Grand Mufti of Jerusalem in his office, right next to the Wailing Wall, in an Ottoman palace built uh, under uh, during that occupation of the Ottomans that started in Israel in 1516. And he had a little tiny window up near the top of his underground study that gave onto the Wailing Wall. We could hear Jews praying in Hebrew at the Wailing Wall, and the Grand Mufti said to me, there is not a single Stoniani in Jerusalem that is the Jewish. He claimed that, that all of Jerusalem had been built by Arabs. Now, he didn't say Turks. He said Arabs, but he, you know, Muslims. All of it had been built by Muslims. This is a, a typical belief, pretension of anti-Semites the world over. You have the Sunni Muslim Mufti of Jerusalem, a Palestinian, and now you have Erdogan, a Turk a Turkish Sunni Muslim in, uh, saying the same thing. It's an anti-Semitic uh, trope, and everybody should understand it as such. Well, thanks for sharing that experience. I had the opportunity also to meet with the Mufti of Jerusalem, very interesting man, but I liked your accent. You almost sounded exactly like him, Ken. Well, let's continue talking about Turkey before we conclude our conversation. Looks like Turkey and the United Arab Emirates are openly flouting the United Nations arms embargo uh, to fuel the war that's going on in Libya. You were referring to Libya a moment ago. Talk to us about Turkey and the UAE as it relates to that war. Well, so Turkey and the UAE are on different sides, right? The United Arab Emirates is supporting Haftar, General Haftar, who is actually a U.S. citizen, uh, was a general under Gaddafi. He's in Benghazi. He's against the Islamists. And Turkey is supporting the Islamist government in uh, Tripoli. But, you know, we talk of a U.N. arms embargo. Uh, it's a joke. Yes, yeah, sure, there's a U.N. arms embargo on paper. Nobody has respected the U.N. arms embargo. The, the Obama administration did not respect the U.N. arms embargo. The French have not respected it. Uh, the Turks certainly don't respect it. Qatar did not respect it. They were supplying weapons to uh, jihadi groups against Gaddafi and the United Arab Emirates and Egypt are not respecting it. What's interesting here is to see satellite photographs that have appeared this past week of uh, C-17 aircraft. These are U.S.-made uh, giant military transport aircraft on an air base in western Egypt, just along the Libyan border, uh, presumably bringing weapons at where they're being stockpiled at this Egyptian air base to be then brought in either by ground to General Haftar or by his own aircraft into Tripoli. So the UAE is stepping up big time to fan the flames of this civil war in Libya, which, let's not forget, began when Hillary Clinton decided, along with Obama, that it was time to get rid of Gaddafi, a man who had become a U.S. ally. Well, this is one conflict that we will keep a close eye on with Ken Timmerman because Libya is one of the players mentioned in Bible prophecy that will align against the Jewish state of Israel. Ken, thank you for an excellent report. You always do a great job. You give us great insight. Appreciate it, my friend. We'll talk again next week. Always my pleasure, Jimmy, and there's always new things going on. God bless. Always new things going on. That is absolute. Well, we're going to take a break. When we come back, I've got David Dolan standing by. He's going to give us a Middle East news update. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today.
Have you ever wanted to know more about God's plan for the future? Have you ever tried to understand prophetic passages in God's Word, like, say, the book of Revelation, and been frustrated at not being able to figure it out? Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest CD series, Keys for Unlocking God's Plan for the Future, will help you gain the ability to understand where to start in your study of prophecy and allow you to read God's Word in a new and exciting way. Understanding God's prophetic Word will allow you to live a pure and productive life until Jesus returns for the church. Keys will help you gain the tools you need to understand the end-time events as foretold in God's Word. Dr. DeYoung lays out a systematic approach to Bible prophecy for those who want to know God's plan for the future. Tracks included are A Roadmap Through the End Times, The Jew in Jerusalem, Daniel and the Antichrist, Ezekiel and Messiah's Temple, and Revelation and Babylon. To order your copy of Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's Keys for Unlocking God's Plan for the Future, visit our website at prophecytoday.com. Prophecy Today is heard all across the USA on the Prophecy Today radio network, but also it is heard around the world through our website at prophecytoday.com. And Jay, there are many other features on our prophecytoday.com website, like daily news updated out of the Middle East as it pertains to what's happening prophetically. Special reports can be heard right on our website at prophecytoday.com. We have Prophecy Q&A available for you. Questions asked in the past can be answered on the website if you just check it out and go to that particular spot. Prophecy Quiz is available, and parts of our Prophecy Today program, if you should miss any part of it, will be heard the next week right here at prophecytoday.com. And don't forget, you can even email your questions to us for our live radio broadcast. Just go to our website at prophecytoday.com. You'll be amazed, you'll be surprised at what you'll find on our website. Be sure to visit us at prophecytoday.com on the World Wide Web. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung here, still in South Dakota, in temporary studios. We're going to be headed towards Nebraska, on over into Oklahoma, back into Alabama, and then we'll come back home the end of the month of October on the road again, as Willie Nelson says. We're out here giving the prophetic word of God to those who will gather together in the churches where we are holding our meetings. And there's great interest, especially here in South Dakota. Somebody said the other day, well, there's nothing else to do in South Dakota but to come hear about the prophetic scenario that is unfolding in our world. Well, praise the Lord for that. We've had some great meetings. I'm in Wilmot. We'll be leaving for Nebraska and Oklahoma on Monday morning. All right, uh, let's uh, get to our next broadcast partner, as promised, David Dolan. He covers the Middle East. He's done it with a responsibility as a journalist on a number of networks throughout the years. We're so glad to have him as our broadcast partner right here on Prophecy Today. Uh, David, uh, let me talk to you about something that's pretty late-breaking as it relates to the news. Jordan, the state of Jordan, has opened up their airspace for Israel to fly over it. Now, that's a very interesting development in light of the peace accords that are coming together with the Arabs and the Israelis, is it not? Well, definitely it is, Jimmy. That announcement made on Thursday, overflight from other countries or 
Israeli flights going to the Far East, to India, to China, had to go around Jordanian airspace and Saudi airspace as well. So it's a major move forward and a another sign that the peace deal is holding and that these other countries are supporting it. This week, Prime Minister Netanyahu and the President of Russia, Vladimir Putin, had a conversation discussing the fact that Russia is saying they are going to sell the S-400. Uh, that's the air defense system, a very advanced defense system. They're going to sell that to Iran. What do you know about that conversation? And is that concerning to Israel? Well, Jimmy, the two leaders remain on very good terms, and that's an important uh, fact to keep in mind because, of course, the actual ties between Israel and Russia have been fraying, to say the least, in recent years, so that they're still talking is good in and of itself. But yes, Israel expressed its deep concern over the S-400 system going to Iran. The Assyrians have gotten some copies of it, and that's been concerning to the Israelis, of course. It is, as you said, one of the best anti-aircraft missile systems in existence. You know, it would certainly buffer Iran forces to have that. So they very much want it. Their alliance with Russia is pretty strong, and the Israelis are concerned about it. But ultimately, Russia has no say over where Israel sells its weapons. It sometimes intervenes and asks it to do this or that, but ultimately it's up to Israel. And the same, of course, is true with Russia. They will sell to who they will. The only thing the Israelis can do is make it clear that they object to it and hope that this might change the course of the apparent decision to sell these weapons to Iran. Often in our conversation, David, we talk about Tayyip Erdogan, who is president of Turkey and really active in the entire Middle East. But now Tayyip Erdogan is making the statement that Jerusalem has been the city for the Turks for thousands of years. I don't think history would confirm that. What are your thoughts? Well, Jimmy, it's the strongest statement that he's ever made about uh, Israel and Jerusalem and basically threatening to uh, retake Jerusalem. I'm going to quote what he told the parliament uh, during this week. He said, quote, Jerusalem is ours. Jerusalem is from us. In this city that we had to leave in tears during the First World War, it is still possible to come across traces of the Ottoman resistance. So, of course, he's talking about um, retaking Jerusalem, basically, there, that it's ours. Well, it was from 1516 till 1917. It was exclusively under uh, Ottoman uh, control, but that's just a few centuries. It's been under other Arab control and Muslim control over the centuries. And, of course, the Ottoman Empire followed the Christian Byzantine Empire that was there earlier, and, of course, the Jewish state, which is back and in control of Jerusalem. So it is not Turkey's. <laughs> it was only briefly Turkey's, and the Israelis are not going to let it revert to uh, Erdogan's control if they can in any way prevent that. But in a sense, Jimmy, it was an indirect declaration of war, of course, coming on all the other trouble. We now have new Turkish claims in Cyprus made this week. We have them fueling the upflared uh, war between Armenia and Azerbaijan, very much supporting Azerbaijan 
in that conflict. Ironically, Israel's more or less on their side in that one because Israel's been supplying weapons to Azerbaijan over the years. So it's a mess, but he wants badly to take back that Ottoman Empire, bring it back. And uh, the whole region is uh, got to be up in arms over that, literally, because he's got a major military force he can play with, and uh, doing that in Libya as well. So trouble in the region for sure. Well, trouble in the region, and that exactly what you were reporting to us is what made the Israeli defense minister, Benny Gantz, tell Turkey, hey, you better stop destabilizing this region. That's a pretty strong statement as well. It is, Jimmy, and he repeated his support also during that speech for the Palestinians. He said they're occupied, uh, including those living in Jerusalem. In other words, Palestinians, Arabs, and any part of Israel are being occupied. So again, he's uh, basically um, echoing Iran now, saying that Israel will be destroyed. He hasn't said it that directly, but his statements and actions are saying that. And, of course, his alliance with Iran is worrisome. Iran this week boasted of its new anti-ship missile that can travel 400 miles or so, saying this is a new game-changer in the region. They continue to strengthen their forces. So a very worrisome situation and one Israel has to be on alert about. But they really weren't expecting 10 or 15 years ago good relations were had with Turkey. They weren't expecting this turn of events and that it would become an enemy again. But you and I know the book, and we know that this was prophesied, and it's beginning to unfold. David, both you and I were journalists located there in Jerusalem back in 1991. I think the month was May, and that was the time of Operation Solomon when there was a great airlift bringing Ethiopian Jews out of Addis Ababa into Israel. Now I understand that Prime Minister Netanyahu is pushing to do another airlift, trying to bring about 2,000 Ethiopian Jews into Israel once again, add to the population of the Ethiopians. What do we know about this? Yes, he said during the week that he would bring the matter to the cabinet on Sunday, tomorrow, and hope that they would vote to approve that continuation of the Operation Solomon, essentially, like you said, over 2,000 Ethiopian Jews. They're in an area, Jimmy, in Ethiopia that's becoming increasingly infected with uh, the coronavirus. In fact, uh, the whole of of Eastern Africa is undergoing a wave of uh, the virus spread. And so he's saying, let's get them out of there now while we can before they become sick as well. We have our first cabinet minister that is of Ethiopian descent, And uh, she is very much supportive of this airlift and pushing for it. So it looks like it will take place. And, Jimmy, just a little bright news in the midst of all the other tragic and sad news we've had in Israel in recent months. The coronavirus there is uh, ebbing, thank God. The cases have gone below 4,000 a day now for the past few days, so the lockdown seems to be helping there. But there's been more riots, some uh, anti-Orthodox Jewish uh, riots and some Orthodox Jews rioting. Uh, They were thrown out of their synagogue during the week when they were supposed to be limiting their capacity, and they weren't. So a lot of tension there, but some good news in the Ethiopian Jewish community 
very much rejoicing and hoping that this goes forward and is successful. And, of course, the airlift will be a part of a fulfillment of a prophecy in the book of Isaiah, chapter 18, the Ethiopian Jews coming into Israel. And, David, uh, this fact that coronavirus is on the downside, good for the Ethiopian Jews as well, is it not? Oh, it definitely is. And uh, they're in an area, the ones that they want to bring in, that is just rapidly being infected, they say. And yet that community so far has been fairly untouched, but they know that they have to move them soon if they're going to keep that record. And, you know, Israel's got a lot of cases, but it is dropping again, and they're happy about that. They're concerned about the upsurge in Europe uh, because, you know, they're trying to get the tourism industry back on its feet. But uh, it's not just in Israel. A lot of places still being very much affected by this virus. And, of course, in the United States, in Washington, D.C. as well. That's our broadcast partner for the Middle East News Update, David Dolan, longtime journalist in Israel weekly giving us the latest information we need to understand how current events are actually setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. David, thank you so very much, my good friend. We'll talk again next week. Thank you, Jimmy. God bless and enjoy South Dakota. Thank you, sir. We're going to have to take a break, and when we come back, we'll go to Itamar Marcus. He wants to talk about suicide bombers from the Palestinian body politic. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. I have written a book entitled Sound the Trumpets. This book looks at four major trends given to us in the prophetic passages of God's Word. This book will look at an alignment of nations who will form a coalition to wipe Israel off the face of the earth that their name be forgotten forever. That's Psalm 83 and verse 4. Now this book would help you to better understand why all of the activity that is going on in the Middle East, current events, is actually setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. It will be a great source of information that will assist you in your study of Bible prophecy. Go to my prophecy bookstore, prophecytoday.com, then to the bookstore to make your purchase of the book, Sound the Trumpets. Hi everybody, Jimmy DeYoung. Welcome back to Prophecy Today Weekend. I'm still here in Wilmont, South Dakota. On Monday morning, we leave to go over to Nebraska because on Wednesday night, Over in Plattsmouth, Nebraska, at the First Baptist Church, we're going to have a great prophecy rally. Uh, Pastor Raymond Wicks is inviting everybody in the region to come. That's October the 14th, Wednesday night, 7 p.m. at the First Baptist Church in Plattsmouth, Nebraska. Hope you'll be able to come and study the prophetic Word of God with us. Well, as promised, Itamar Marcus is going to join us here at the broadcast table. He's actually in Israel, and we'll be able to talk with him. Itamar, great to have you back on the broadcast. Hope your throat's feeling a bit better. Last time, you were unable to do the interview, so you sent one of your team members, Maurice Hirsch. Appreciated that opportunity to talk with Maurice, but glad to have you back with us here on the broadcast. Always great to be with you, Jimmy. You know Thank you so very much, Itamar. 
Recently, I was reading from palwatch.org. Now, that's the website for the Palestinian Media Watch, which Itamar heads up with his team. And they monitor both the electronic, the print, and all media that may be going out from the Palestinian people, even the social media as well. And Itamar, I saw a report on suicide bombers. Now, that was talking about those in the Palestinian body politic who are interested in becoming a suicide bomber. I would imagine everybody listening to us understands what a suicide bomber is, but just give us some information, if you will, for those who may not be familiar with that terminology. They would be young Palestinians who want to kill themselves for the honor of honoring Allah, their God, correct? Correct. It's something that normal people have so much trouble understanding. The Palestinian Authority has has told its people many times that the Jews are an evil an evil force in the world. They said that humanity can never live with the Jews. And and because of this, whenever the Palestinian Authority is interested in having a terror wave, one of the choice choice means of killing Jews is through suicide terror. It was particularly traumatic and, and, and awful during the period year two thousand through two thousand and five when we lost close to a thousand people in a Palestinian Authority terror wave, probably six or seven hundred of them were killed from suicide bombings. There were some days where we would have two and three bombings in one day. It was awful. And what they've done to these people is they've told them, not only are you killing Jews, but you're guaranteeing yourself a place in paradise if you kill Jews or if you uh, kill yourself while attempting to kill Jews. This is the awful, awful hate message from the Palestinian Authority to its people. You kill a Jew, you go to heaven. Itamar, according to your report, I understand that there are women who are volunteering to be suicide bombers as well. Is this a normal type of thing or extraordinary? It was unusual. During that period where we had 300 attempted suicide bombings, of which 100 plus or so I think were successful, tragically successful from their perspective, of that, about 10 of them were, were females. And the interesting thing is they're, they're not just promised paradise. The men are promised that they are going to marry 72 dark-eyed virgins in paradise. This is part of their reward. And what we've been learning now and what we learned uh, last week is that a, a woman who was about to go on a suicide bombing a number of years ago during that terror wave and was caught six hours before she was about to blow herself up and murder Israelis. She said that she was expecting to be rewarded in marrying. That was going to be her reward. So it's the tragedy here is that these people are, are in a society which puts certain values on celibacy. Some people might talk about it, sexual repression. And because of the repression of sexual impulses and sexual activity, then then they can offer them a reward in paradise of endless sex, essentially, with 72 people, 72 virgins. And then you've got these young men who might be frustrated, and boom, they hear, oh, this is going to be wonderful. I'm going to have the 72 virgins. It sounds outrageous. It sounds unbelievable. But we have, on our website, you can see interviews. You can see men who the next day went out and blew themselves up and murdered Israelis. And what do they say? 
to the TV camera that was filming them. They said, I'm not afraid to go because I've got my wedding. I'm waiting to be greeted by the 72 virgins. So, so this is something that in their warped minds is actually real. And Amara, I understand that the Palestinian media is even using children's program to promote this type of lifestyle, a suicide bomber. Am I correct on that? Yes, it is true. We, we have seen numerous times that the children have recited poems talking about going out to be martyrs. In fact, we, we've even had children reciting poems on official Palestinian television children's programs where they've actually even, even talked about being greeted by the virgins. Now, these kids weren't even old enough to know. We're talking about very young children, four, five, six, seven. They weren't even old enough to know what they were talking about. But that's the worst kind of brainwashing. When you start brainwashing young children, when they're so young, they have no understanding of what they're saying, that they end up believing that this is something that they have to do. That's what we've been seeing since the beginning of the Palestinian Authority until today. That's the kind of brainwashing that we're seeing of Palestinian children. How close would the possibility of a third intifada be? And indeed, will they then use these suicide bombers if that third intifada does come into place? Like I said, Israel is not as naive as we were in the year 2000. So we're tracking them and we're not allowing them to have that kind of independence. On the other hand, the Palestinian Authority right now is more isolated than they really have ever been since the Oslo Accord started, that is, since 1993. They've always had the support of the Arab world. They've always had the support of many European countries. For good parts of the period, they had support of the United States. Right now, the Palestinian Authority has lost the support of a great part of the Arab world because of their rejection of the peace treaty between Israel and the United Arab Emirates and Israel and Bahrain. Many of these countries are attacking the Palestinian Authority, so they're losing their support of the Arab world. A lot of Europeans are just about fed up with them because they've been giving them money for years, and all they do is put the money into hate and uh, terror promotion and don't build positive infrastructures. Why am I saying this? To answer your question about Intifada, now that they feel so isolated, there is a greater possibility that they will try to create some kind of united terror front against Israel like they did in the year 2000. I can also say to that that in the last month there have been more meetings between heads of the Palestinian Authority and Hamas, the Islamic Jihad, the Popular Front for the Liberation of Palestine. These are all designated by the United States and the Europeans as terror organizations. Uh, all of a sudden these groups are meeting together with the Palestinian Authority leadership. Just this morning, we read about a meeting that happened yesterday in Damascus between Jibril Rajoub, who is representing the PA in all these meetings. He's in charge of the resistance against the peace treaties, and he met with the head of the Islamic Jihad. The day or two before that, he was in, uh, he was in uh, Damascus as well, and he met with heads of the Popular Front for Liberation of Palestine. So I think and I fear that the Palestinian Authority, because they're so isolated, is trying to plan something. And we just have to hope and pray that uh, Israel will be successful in preventing any kind of a terror campaign that they might be planning. That's the voice of Idamar Marcus. He heads up a team in Israel called Palestinian Media Watch, and their Internet address is palwatch.org. 
a very important report. You can go there and sign up for the Palestinian Media Watch newsletter that Itamar publishes each month. Itamar, thank you so much for this very important report, staying on top of what's going on in the Palestinian Authority. Appreciate it. We'll have another conversation real soon. Thanks very much, and enjoy your travels. Well, we're going to change the focus right now. We're going to talk with John Rood, a different region of the world other than the Middle East. It's the area of the European Union. John, who lived in Brussels, Belgium for a number of years, knows all the details of what's going on there, has great insight. So, John, let me go to you with this first article I want to talk to you about. I hear that France's President Macron has proposed to Israel that they sign a long-term ceasefire with Hezbollah. Now, that's interesting. France getting involved in Middle Eastern activities. What do you know on this report? In the European Union, France has traditionally had a place in the Middle East above Germany, for example. And uh, France is struggling for some recognition because of the tensions with Turkey now. And so it actually has placed itself, President Macron in France, to have parallel talks with the level of the U.S. brokered talks. And surprisingly, they have received some favorable response to a proposal that there would be a ceasefire between Israel and uh, Hezbollah. This actually would be a great publicity for France doing something positive, but this is a very strict situation. Israel and Hezbollah have had two wars in the past. France is moving in hoping to reduce Hezbollah from a terrorist organization to operate as a political party. Well, before we get out of the region of the Middle East and a relationship with the European Union, let me ask you about this one as well. EU is giving Palestinians an ultimatum by linking any aid that they're going to send them, financial aid we're talking about, to their ties with Israel. They're trying to work out some type of a coexistence, I would imagine, between the Israelis and the Palestinians coming from the European Union body politic. Talk to us about that, John. Yeah, that's right, Jimmy. You know, the last few weeks we've spoken how the EU has been out of touch with the uh, progress that's been done in the Middle East through the United States and Gulf nations. So the European Union is actually speaking to the Palestinian Authority saying that they must accept the tax revenues that are collected for them by Israel. It's been a sort of protest, but Israel has, has collected $750 million for the Palestinians that they have refused. So it appears to be a self-defeating stand, but yet the European Union now getting on board with what's happening in in the Middle East process is saying you actually have to take this money from Israel or there'll be no further financial aid from us, which is substantial, and the EU is by far the biggest backing of the Palestinian Authority. John, we often talk about the relationship between Turkey and the European Union. Turkey, a member of NATO, and also wanting to be a member state in the European Union. Don't know if that'll ever come about. Uh, But uh, those relationships have soured once again. Give us the latest. Yes, and this has been such a surprising twist. The European Union has pushed off Turkey from uh, membership. They've had negotiations since 2005. 
And so here we have uh, more than 15 years, and it's very, very clear that the European Union does not want uh, Turkey to join the European Union. And now at the European Union summit just recently, the EU is showing that Turkey's bid for membership, uh, that those chances are, are weakening. Well, Turkey already knows this literally for many, many years. And so it's really an EU facade to even say Turkey would be able to join the European Union. But Turkey has t- turned it around. They're taking very authoritative stands, and now they're pressing the fact that the European Union will not let them in, which they've never openly stated. This bargaining chip is extremely weak. The EU is showing weakness in this, and Turkey is showing very authoritative approach to the European Union. To say that now we're considering your chances to join the European Union are diminished, uh, Turkey has written that off many years ago. They're taking their own strong stand. The voice of John Rood, he's our broadcast partner covering the European Union for us. John, great report. Thank you for the update. We'll talk again next week. Thank you very much. Well, right now we bring the Honorable Sam Rohr to the broadcast table. He's going to have a conversation with me. I say he's honorable. He is a good man. He's a godly man. Uh, But I make that distinction because of the fact he served for a number of years, almost 20 years, in the Senate of the state of Pennsylvania. He's now the president of the American Pastors Network and the host of Stand in the Gap Today radio and television. Sam, thank you for joining me. I appreciate the opportunity to have a conversation, as we often do on the radio. Well, Jimmy, always my privilege to, uh, to be with you and all of your great listeners on Prophecy Today, so it's a privilege to be with you. Thank you so much, buddy. The other day, Sam, I was reading an article that was posted on the BBC, British Broadcasting Corporation, and the question, the title of the article was, Do You Have to Have Jesus to Win the Presidential Election? So let me begin with this question. Number one, what is the importance of the Christian vote in the upcoming presidential election? Will it play a key role in that election? Well, that's an easy question to answer. To what degree? I don't know, Jimmy. But I will say this. The election of 2016, it is clear, here at the United States, that was, in fact, determined by those that would term the broader evangelical uh, vote, the Christian vote, the God-fearing patriotic vote. It, it was in that category, broadly termed uh, evangelical. And yes, it was. The numbers, the, the, the great turnout in that segment across the country, and as well as a strong identification by evangelical leaders across the country, uh, identifying a support for Do- then-candidate Donald Trump, before the election. So the answer is yes, it did play an, a, a, a major part in 2016. Will it play a part again in this election? Uh, the answer is by all observations, yes, absolutely. And may it come down once again to the participation level of those who call themselves Christians, evangelicals more broadly, whatever you'd say that. Uh, the answer is yes, it is. And so uh, that's why there is such an effort right now being made to solicit, make sure that 
anyone who calls himself a Christian is registered to vote. About 25% of them who say they are don't vote. So you got a big issue, and if a por- only a portion of those uh, were to actually be registered and vote, it could make all of the difference by itself. So, yes, long answer to your question, but major in 2016, it will play a major role in 2020. Sam, both of the candidates, President Trump and the former Vice President Joe Biden, claim to be Christians. When you look at Trump, he's a Protestant Christian, and Joe Biden claims that he is a Catholic. But I'm concerned that neither one of them may truly be born again by a true definition, a biblical definition of salvation. Uh, that it would make a difference, do you not think, as it relates to the vote from the Christian community? Well, I think it. I think it will. But I'm telling you, I have been so impressed with so many comments uh, by people across the spectrum who are saying, "Hey, look, this election, which I happen to feel, the selection process between a Joe Biden and the Democrat platform and a Donald Trump and the Republican platform." perhaps is the clearest in contrast on the most major issues, God or no God, life or abortion, uh, socialism or uh, free enterprise, Israel or the Palestinians. I mean, everything, everything that you can take, uh, I, I actually think this is probably the clearest contrast uh, in policy positions. And that's how I ultimately measure it. A Joe Biden who says, Catholic, but supports wholeheartedly uh, the gay uh, lifestyle and uh, abortion almost on demand, and the Palestinians' uh, support over Israel, the globalism, all of those things. He's not a Catholic, as many Catholics are, so there's a difference within those uh, ranks of Catholics. On those who call themselves evangelical or Christians, there are those who, who are true believers, and for them... I am sensing, as I am hearing, a true believer, uh, even as what the polls would indicate, would, would be, I mean, they're like 95%, because for them, they can see this, they, this contrast between the two. When you get into the evangelical category, I'll share some, uh, inf- uh, some numbers on some research that just came out from George Barna, but there is a division clearly within the ranks of those who call themselves evangelicals, and some of them actually are stepping up and saying they're going to vote for Joe Biden. Uh, so that's a strange anomaly. So anymore, you almost have to define the terms Christian, biblically, or Christian as people call themselves, and then evangelical, what it used to mean or what it means today. Uh, so there are people all across the board on both of those categories. Well, I have to tell you, Sam, that answer brings some more questions to my mind. And let me just go that way, if you will. Uh, Biden is a Catholic He believes in abortion, as you said, on demand. And uh, you talked about the homosexual activities as well of those in the United States and around the world. He seems to be pro-homosexual. There are some, and you again talked about Christians, and are they truly Bible-believing, born-again Christians? But there are some who may well be born-again Christians who say that they don't like Trump's personality. They don't like the way he talks. They just don't like voting for him, so they're going to vote for Joe Biden. How can a true born-again Bible-believing Christian vote for a man who is totally in favor of abortion and also homosexuality? Jimmy, I don't think it's actually possible. 
I do not believe it is possible for a true believer who says, I have a relationship with Jesus Christ, I believe the Bible is the authoritative Word of God, and what God establishes is the final determination on moral law, and therefore they would believe the Constitution and all that the, the rights as given from God that undergird the Constitution. If a person says those things and has a biblical worldview, views those things, there is no possible way that he can be an obedient Christian and vote for a candidate, Joe Biden, uh, or the Democrat ticket that in all of its aspects take positions that are are 100% totally contrary in every regard to the Word of God or any moral position that you may choose to pick. I don't think it's possible for a person to say, I will vote for the positions of the devil and call themselves a Christian. And that's really what they are. All of those positions, abortion and in human sexuality and transgenderism and globalism and, and, um, and socialism and communism, of which the Democratic Party has wrapped its arms around it, those are biblical definitions. That's evil. So how can a true believer support evil? I say no true believer can support evil. So that, that's how I'd answer that question. I don't think it's possible. Well, then, because of the fact that you are the president of the American Pastors Network and also the spokesperson, uh, the major voice on Stand in the Gap radio today and on television as well. How do you think the Christian community will vote, and why should they vote that way? Speak to the body of Christ about their vote in this upcoming election. Well, I would say for those who are listening, if you are a God-fearing person, if you are, enough a step later, if you are a God-fearing person who actually knows who Jesus Christ is and has, has a relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ, you are born again. If you are in that category, and if you are in that category saying, yes, God's Word is authoritative, and I believe it, if that is the case, then there is a duty before God, and there is a duty before as a citizen to our own nation, to both be engaged civilly, which means voting, and then voting for that party, that candidate that most closely supports the positions that God pulls out in His Word. And at this juncture, as I said earlier, I don't know that we have ever had a contrasting position so clear on those basic positions, as in a Trump-Biden, as we, in fact, have this this year, we've had people before, uh, Jimmy, where they have uh, kind of identified commonality in positions, but I don't know that I have heard a Democrat candidate at this point actually stand up and defend and actually argue so vehemently for the killing of the unborn or argue so vehemently for the positions of Marxism and socialism or homosexuality as this platform and these particular candidates. candidates. So uh, I would say, uh, you, you know, a person, if you're going to stand before God and say, am I going to hear well done as a citizen, well done as a child of God, I'd say we have to make sure that if that's going to be heard, we're going to be voting, and we're going to be voting with prayer in our heart, but voting for those candidates in those positions that are most alike to biblical principles and biblical truth. And this year it's very clear. 
Sam, there's a wonderful verse over in First Timothy, actually four verses. First Timothy chapter two, verses one to four, and it leads off with saying, First of all, vote for those who are in higher authority. I believe that means before you vote for your pastor, for the evangelists, for the missionaries, vote for those who are in higher authority in political leadership. So as we conclude our conversation, would you just take a moment and lift up all of those, even those who are candidates, though they may not have been elected to the highest post in the land. Let's pray, Sam, for those who are in higher authority. Would you lead us in that as we close our conversation? Yes, I'd be glad to. Our dear Heavenly Father, we are glad, Lord, that you are in you do raise up, as you say, and you do put down, as King Nebuchadnezzar of years ago acknowledged, the God and extolled the God of heaven. Lord, you are the God of heaven. You work through nations for the advancement of the plan of redemption. You are working through your nation of Israel. You are working through your people, true believers, the church in this day and this age. And Lord, we pray that those who call upon your name, those who know who you are, would act in accordance to obedience, consistent with who you are and what you say. And Lord, we pray that you may, in these days in America, raise up an opportunity for the continuation of the preaching of the gospel in freedom. And we would ask that you would bless your word, Lord. At the end of the day, we pray for your will to be done. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Sam, thank you so much for the conversation, for your insight as we look towards that very important moment when each of us should be casting a vote for a presidential candidate who we believe will be the closest to what God's Word calls for that individual to be. Thank you so much, my good friend. We'll see you on the radio next week on your program, Stand in the Gap Today. Thank you, buddy. Thank you, Jimmy. Great conversation with Sam Rohr and how the evangelical Christian community may be voting in the upcoming presidential elections. Well, we're going to have to take a break. When we come back, David James is standing by. We're going to be discussing abortion. It will be a major issue in these elections upcoming as well. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Hi, everybody. Jimmy DeYoung here at the broadcast location temporarily, not Broadcast Central in Chattanooga, but instead temporarily set up here in Wilmont, South Dakota. On Monday, we leave, go towards Nebraska, and then on to Oklahoma before we go into Alabama and finally back home at the end of the month. So glad that you could join with us. And do me another favor, if you will. Go to my website, prophecytoday.com. On the left-hand column, if you'll scroll down, you'll find the poll question. I would love for you to answer the poll question. Here it is. On Prophecy Today weekend today, I discussed the issue of abortion with several of my broadcast partners. Do you believe that abortion is an issue which is a key issue in the upcoming presidential election? And then the final part of it, and should it play a role in who you vote for as president? Be sure to answer my poll question. It's on my website, prophecytoday.com. 
And then let me remind you of my Prophecy Moments, Jim Jr. and myself producing these there on our YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash Prophecy Today. We now bring to these microphones David James. David and I have a weekly conversation. We focus on an issue that the body of Christ really needs to have a biblical perspective on, and that's why we take this segment of the broadcast to do exactly that. This time we're going to be focusing on the abortion holocaust in light of the elections, the Supreme Court, and what the Word of God, the Bible, has to say. Well, for the first time in many months, we catch up with David as he's out on the road again and finishing up a week of teaching at the Word of Life Bible Institute in upstate New York. David, how did that go? Well, it's been great, Jimmy, and it certainly is good to be out on ministry and in the classroom again. You know, the last time we had a discussion while I was on the road was way back in February, if you can believe that, when I was teaching at the Word of Life Bible Institute in Uganda and then at a conference with Word of Life in Ethiopia. Getting back to this trip, you know, I had the privilege of teaching understanding Roman Catholicism to what was actually a record number of second-year students. I have to tell you, it wasn't the easiest week because... Since I'm from Indiana, which is a restricted state for New York, I had to teach while wearing a mask, which was no fun at all. And I also had to stay isolated in my room so I couldn't spend any time with the students outside the classroom. But, uh, you know, the course on Roman Catholicism is an important practical one for the students for their future life and ministry, no matter where they'll be or what they'll be doing, since there are an estimated 1.2 billion Catholics in the world. David, that is a great report on your time there at the Word of Life Bible Institute in Scroon Lake, New York. And, of course, a very important topic, as you've already mentioned to us. Well, David, another one of our broadcast partners that I sometimes speak with about Catholicism is Mike Gendron. And a few days ago, Mike sent me a newsletter with a lead article entitled, The Most Dangerous Place for Babies to Be. Speak to that issue. Well, I'm on Mike's update list, too, and I had seen that article before I got your email saying you would uh, like to discuss this topic. You know, it's a powerful and well-written article, and I would encourage our listeners to read it and share it with others as they have a chance, and they can find the article on Mike's ministry website by clicking on the current newsletters link under the main banner, and his website is proclaimingthegospel.org. That's one word, proclaimingthegospel.org. And after his introductory paragraph, uh, he has several main sections, and let me just share what those sections are to uh, help our listeners understand uh, where we're going with this and what that article is about. They are, how can anyone support the killing of defenseless babies, our sovereign Lord hears our prayers, personhood begins at conception, our government's divine mandate, a most critical and consequential election, and finally, Christians have a moral duty. And in each of these sections, he brings up several important points that believers really need to keep in mind. And the presidential election seems to be one of the main reasons that Mike wrote this article. And it also relates to the Roman Catholicism course and this discussion, because Joe Biden is Catholic, and because of where he and the majority of Catholics actually stand on abortion. You know, in light of the upcoming elections, David, and since you said Joe Biden is Catholic, 
We knew that, of course. And the Roman Catholics make up one of the largest voting blocs in the United States. Maybe it would be helpful to understand the Catholic Church's official position on abortion. Well, let me say this before I get to the position of the Catholic Church on the abortion issue, because I want to make sure our listeners understand where I'm coming from concerning Roman Catholicism. Back in 1994, a number of prominent Catholic and Protestant theologians and ministry leaders published a document titled Evangelicals and Catholics Together. And so for over 25 years now, there's been a campaign to try to convince people that the Reformation is effectively over because Catholics and Evangelicals now essentially agree on salvation, but that is really categorically false and very deceptive. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, but Catholicism teaches that salvation comes through a combination of faith, the sacraments, submission to the hierarchy and teachings of the Church, and good works. So I'm not endorsing the Catholic Church in any way, but they are on the right side of the abortion issue. If you look at the official main catechism of the Catholic Church, paragraph 2271 says this, Since the first century, the Church has affirmed the moral evil of every procured abortion. This teaching has not changed and remains unchangeable. Direct abortion, that is to say abortion willed either as an end or a means, is gravely contrary to the moral law. And what that means, Jimmy, when it says gravely contrary, that means it's a mortal sin, and it will send you to hell for engaging in that sin. And then it quotes an ancient source saying this, you shall not kill the embryo by abortion and shall not cause the newborn to perish. You know, David, that is a very strong statement against abortion. And given the official position of the Catholic Church on abortion, some of the things that Mike notes in his article are both surprising and disturbing when it comes to where most Catholics are on this issue today. You're right, Jimmy, and it's not a good sign for our country going forward. You know, as we've talked about before, party platforms are probably more important than even the individual candidates. And I've always sensed that many Catholics tend to vote Democrat, and some sources suggest that that's been as high as 80 to 90 percent, although that number has apparently gone down. In a 2019 article on the Pew Research Center website, it says this, roughly equal shares of Catholic registered voters have identified with or leaned toward the the Democratic and Republican parties in recent years. That's 47 versus 46 percent, respectively. And according to exit polls, nearly identical shares of Catholics voted for Democrats, 50 percent, and Republicans, 49 percent, in 2018 elections for the U.S. House of Representatives. But, Jimmy, this is still significant because of the 51 million adult Catholics in the U.S., which, as you said, is a large voting bloc. And, and Mike also cited an article pointing to a Pew Research study that showed over 75%, 75% of Roman Catholics who at least lean Democrat also think abortion should be legal in all or most cases. And Mike also noted that at the Republican National Convention, one of the addresses was given by a nun who said the Biden-Harris ticket is the most anti-life presidential ticket ever. 
That's right. Mike opened his article with this statement. A mother's womb has become the most dangerous place for many babies to be since the tragic decision by the U.S. Supreme Court in 1973 that deviously framed the right to abortion. Over 62 million babies have been destroyed in their mother's womb. And then he goes on to say a staggering 25% of women have had an abortion and 40% of abortions are repeats. And finally, he notes that during the time that over 200,000 Americans have died because of the COVID-19 crisis. We've also experienced the tragedy of over three times that many deaths by abortion. David, I also noticed in Mike's article that he talks about the sheer magnitude of the abortion problem. Discuss that with us. That's right. Mike opened his article with this statement. A mother's womb has become the most dangerous place for many babies to be since the tragic decision by the U.S. Supreme Court in 1973 that deviously framed the right to abortion. Over 62 million babies have been destroyed in their mother's womb. And then he goes on to say a staggering 25% of women have had an abortion and 40% of abortions are repeats. And finally, he notes that during the time that over 200,000 Americans have died because of the COVID-19 crisis. We've also experienced the tragedy of over three times that many deaths by abortion. So, David, I think what we ought to do is look at the biblical side of the abortion issue. Mike gave several biblical reasons in his article why abortion is murder, because life must begin at conception. Discuss that. Well, there are any number of biblical passages and theological arguments we can use. For example, when Job was lamenting his plight when he was suffering, he said in chapter 3, verse 16, Or why was I not hidden like a stillborn child, like infants who never saw the light? So he refers to an unborn baby as a child, and a child is a person. In Genesis 25, we read about Rebecca when she was pregnant and that the children struggled together within her. In Exodus 21, Moses seems to indicate, and God says, that someone who causes a miscarriage is guilty of murder and is to be punished accordingly. In Psalm 139, King David wrote, For you formed my inward parts, you covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. In Luke chapter 1, when Mary goes to see Elizabeth, when both are pregnant, Elizabeth says she felt her baby leap in her womb, and the Greek word she uses of her unborn child is the same word used of Jesus after he is born in Luke 2.12. And if we think of the Incarnation itself, we must ask when it was that God took on human flesh. And it could only have been at the moment the Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary and she conceived. And unfortunately, just recently, I was in a discussion with a conservative believer who tried to argue that life begins at the first breath rather than conception, because Adam became a living soul when God breathed life into him. But obviously from these uh, passages that I've talked about, that argument just does not work. Those were some great passages of Scripture, and those of you listening may want to go back, re-listen to this conversation that I'm having with David James. Go to my website, prophecytoday.com. 
then go to Prophecy Today Radio Network, and there we will archive this conversation. Great, great passages of Scripture. You might want to write them down and use them yourself. Well, David, just briefly, as we are wrapping up, I wanted to mention President Trump's nomination for the Supreme Court to replace Ruth Bader Ginsburg because she also is Catholic. That's right, Jimmy. So Amy Coney Barrett is a conservative pro-life Catholic, and her confirmation is set to begin on Monday. And a couple of days ago, Politico reported that she had spoken with six Democrats on the Senate Judiciary Committee, but there was widespread opposition to her confirmation because of concerns about what her effect might be in her presence on the Supreme Court as it relates to the future of Roe v. Wade. And if she is confirmed, which is almost guaranteed because of the balance of power in the Senate, then with a conservative originalist majority of justices, then there might be a possibility of striking down Roe v. Wade. But honestly, Jimmy, that aside, the only real solution is for Congress to amend the Constitution so that abortion is abolished in this country just as the 13th Amendment abolished slavery. You know, I think this was a key conversation for me to have with David James. David, thank you very much for your research. We need to have this understanding of what God's Word says about this issue of abortion as we do go into the voting booth, and especially in light of who we will be electing as President of the United States. Not telling you who to vote for, You just study the truth and then make your decision. David, thank you so very much. Have a safe trip back to Indiana, and we'll talk again next week with another issue. I'll look forward to it, Jimmy. Thanks again. We're going to take a quick break right now, and when I come back after the break, we're going to open up the Bible, look at what my broadcast partners had to say, and I will give you then my prophetic perspective on current events setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Every believer needs to understand Bible prophecy. Whether you're a novice or a student, we are here to help you. Just visit prophecytoday.com and click on the link for the Prophecy Bookstore. There you will find a large selection of CD sets, DVDs, and books for the Bible Prophecy Student written by Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and other prominent scholars. While you're there, be sure to check out Dr. DeYoung's latest series called Presidents, Politics, and Prophecy. This series examines how God has used human leaders in general and specifically the last seven U.S. presidents to set the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. This was shot on location in Washington, D.C. and is available on DVD or as a 10-hour audio series on CD. Be sure to check back often for special deals. You can visit prophecytoday.com and click on Bookstore or you can go directly to prophecybookstore.com. Hey everyone, this is Dave James with the Alliance for Biblical Integrity. You hear me each week discussing current theological issues with Jimmy DeYoung on the Prophecy Today weekend broadcast. We founded the Alliance for Biblical Integrity because we saw a need for an apologetics and discernment ministry that would be an important resource for local churches, schools, and ministry organizations that face ever-changing theological challenges in today's world. 
I teach many different courses and seminars in the United States and around the world and can tailor the seminars for Sunday schools, Bible studies, and church services, and the courses for weekend conferences of 6 to 10 hours. For more information, you can go to the ABI website at biblicalintegrity.org. That's one word, biblicalintegrity.org, and click on Courses and Seminars on the main menu. You can also contact me personally through the contact page on the ABI website. I look forward to hearing from you. It's time right now here on Prophecy Today for us to take a look at the book. I'm always thrilled to hear what my broadcast partners have to say at the broadcast table. Today, another example of the insight and the knowledge of current events that these broadcast partners have. In a moment, I will rehearse these reports and give you my prophetic perspective on the issues discussed, which may well be setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. But if you will, let me tell you first where you need to go if you had to miss any of these reports. You go to my website, prophecytoday.com, then go to PTRN, Prophecy Today Radio Network, and there you'll find these reports have been archived, waiting for you at your convenience to be able to listen to them. And one other request, if you will, Please tell a family member or a friend about these reports. This will assist in helping them to understand the urgency of the moment and why things are happening in this world as they are. Now, if you will, let me give you my prophetic perspective on these reports. Ken Timmerman brought to the table how Hamas and some of the radical elements in Bahrain have met together to strategize as to how they are going to deal with Israel and their own Arab nation because of these peace accords. You know, I've said many, many times that the radical Islamic element in these Arab nations will bring down these Arab accords to set up for the Antichrist to come on the scene to move forward and confirm these failed peace treaties. That's Daniel chapter 9 and verse 27. And he, the Antichrist, shall confirm a covenant, these peace treaties, with many, the Jewish state of Israel and their Arab neighbors, for a seven-year period of time. That confirmation of the peace treaty starting the clock ticking on the tribulation period. David Dolan covers the Middle East for us with his news update. He always brings to the table very important information. We talked about a conversation between Israeli Prime Minister Netanyahu and President of Russia, Vladimir Putin. And they were discussing the fact that Russia is going to sell their S-400 air defense systems to Iran. We all must remember that Iran is a major player of the alignment of nations, Ezekiel 38, that will align themselves to destroy the Jewish state. Russia mentioned as Magog, Ezekiel 38, verse 2, and Iran mentioned as Persia, Ezekiel 38, verse 5. That's God's prophetic scenario. It will be fulfilled. 
Itamar Marcus came to the broadcast table. Remember, Itamar heads up a team called Palestinian Media Watch, and they monitor the electronic and print media of the Palestinian Authority. We talked with Itamar about a documentary that he has put together, The Palestinian Male and Female Suicide Bombers Coming Into Place to Honor Allah and to Be Satisfied Sexually. I'm not trying to be vulgar. I simply want you to know the truth of why the Palestinian male and female radicals will commit themselves to being suicide bombers. You know, the Israeli-Palestinian conflict is 4,000 years old, dating all the way back to Genesis chapter 25, the birth of Jacob, who became the Jewish people, and Esau, who became the Palestinian people. Thus, a scenario through history has been taking place and will continue until the return of Jesus Christ when he will allow the Israeli Defense Force to destroy the Palestinian people as if they had never been. That's Obadiah, verse 18. John Root is the man covering the European Union for us. We talked today about France and the European Union getting involved in the Middle East, talking about Israel and Hezbollah and the Palestinians and Israel. The European Union is the infrastructure. I've told you often about that for the revived Roman Empire. That's Daniel chapter 7, verses 7 and 8, and verses 23 and 24. Then when you go to Revelation chapter 17, we see the revived Roman Empire mentioned in verse 12. The revived Roman Empire is key to the activities during the tribulation period. I have to say the politics of the EU continue to set the stage for the prophetic to be fulfilled. Sam Rohr, who is the president of the American Pastors Network and also the host of Stand in the Gap Today radio and television, actually knows the Christian community very well and is concerned about how they will vote in the upcoming presidential election. Remember, Jesus was the one who established human government for the purpose of being able to direct humankind in the way he and God the Father would have them to go. And as Christians, each and every one of us must go into the voting booth, exercising our franchise and voting based upon biblical principles. And one of those principles was the issue we discussed with David James today. That is the issue of abortion and the fact that it should be the major issue of who you may vote for for president. Study the book of Psalm 139, Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5, and the passages that David gave to us in my conversation with him, and the issue of abortion has to be the major issue as you determine how you will vote for the next president of the United States. All of these excellent reports help us to understand the issues and realize the urgency of the moment. These reports are evidence that the rapture could happen at any moment. Jesus will shout, the archangel will shout, the trump of God will sound, and you and I on this earth as Christians will be caught up to be with him forevermore. That glorious appearing of Jesus Christ is according to Titus chapter 2, our blessed hope. 
I hope that's your blessed hope because you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And by the way, that rapture could happen at any moment, even today. And having said that, nothing left for me to say, except let's keep looking up until. Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Jay Johnson inviting you to join us again next week for more of Prophecy Today. Thank you.